Welcome back to Digital Health Today, the place to be to get the insights of leaders making the healthcare of tomorrow available today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall. In our previous episode, we spoke to Daniela Tudor. She's the CEO and co-founder of We Connect Recovery, and we spoke about the issue of substance use disorder and how to provide access to support people who are in long-term recovery. There's a big overlap between substance use disorder and people with mental health disorders. In 2017, 8.5 million American adults suffered from both. You can find the reference for that number in the show notes for this episode. And while that's a huge number, mental health is something that we all need to be concerned about, whether we have a substance use disorder or not. With the combination of the COVID crisis and the increased awareness of mental health in this, the month of May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month, I wanted to dive deeper into mental health and find out what we can do as individuals and as organizations to resource ourselves and those around us. So I invited Dr. William Kasler to come speak to us on the program. Dr. Kasler is currently Deputy Health Officer and Lead Population Health Officer at IBM Watson Health. Previously, he's held a variety of roles at places such as Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, New Hampshire Department of Health and Human Services, and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Dr. Kassler has received numerous awards from the United States Public Health Service, including the Surgeon General's Meritorious Service Award and the Bi-State Primary Care Association President's Award for, quote, unyielding dedication to community-based access to care for the poor and disadvantaged, unquote. We certainly appreciate his dedication to serving people from across our communities, and he's still a practicing internist and continues to hold office hours in his role at IBM Watson Health. Dr. Kasler, thanks for joining me on the program. Thanks for having me. In our conversation, we're going to discuss a few different documents that I think listeners would enjoy. So before we begin, I just want to remind everyone that all the links to the things we discuss can be found in the show notes in your podcast player and at our website at digitalhealthtoday.com slash podcast. You can also find this episode and all the links at our second home on Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com, along with hundreds of other episodes from great podcasters across healthcare. Dr. Kasler, your colleagues sent across a document that really caught my attention. It was an IBM Institute for Business Value report entitled, How Technology and Data Can Improve Access to Mental Health Resources. There were some pretty unsettling facts contained in that report about the state of the world's mental health. It describes mental health as a universal dilemma that's affecting communities, organizations, families, and schools. And from a financial perspective, it quotes a Reuters Health News article that estimates the global cost of mental health will reach $16 trillion by 2030. And that number includes costs from healthcare, therapies, direct costs such as spending on services, and indirect costs such as lost productivity. It's one thing to quantify the cost of mental health in dollars and cents, but what about the human aspect? How is this affecting our lives and our communities? So we have known for quite a while, pre-pandemic, that mental health is really a silent public health crisis. Just to give you another perspective, about one in five adults in the U.S. have some form of mental illness, and about half of those don't get treated because of stigma, lack of access. So forget the economics from a burden of illness point of view. This causes a tremendous pain and and suffering. You described the mental health dilemma as a crisis. Uh, How long has this crisis been going on? And what are some of the ways that it gets manifested in our society? So it was a silent epidemic before COVID. And now with the, I would say, dislocation and stress of the pandemic, There are two things happening. First, 
I think for people with underlying mental health issues, this just makes it worse. And for the rest of us who might not come into these difficult times with any mental health problems, we're all starting to get anxious. We're worried about our health. Uh, we're worried about our economic future. Our lives have been disrupted. We're worried about our loved ones. And so I think the combination of both the pandemic and the underlying prevalence of mental illness is really like a perfect storm. I want to turn to an article that you wrote that's entitled Protecting Mental Health During the Pandemic. Again, I'll have a link to that in the show notes for this episode. And in that article, you outlined three focus areas that employers and the workforce should prioritize, and they are resilience, fear, and self-care. I'd like to try to go through each one of those three things and break those down and understand a little bit more about what employers and individuals can be doing in each of those three areas. So what about resilience should people be thinking about in light of this pandemic, and what should employers be thinking about for their employees? So resiliency is the ability to bounce back after a trauma. It doesn't mean that that trauma didn't occur, that it doesn't hurt, that it isn't really pretty bad. But resilience is our ability to bounce back. And resilience is not some sort of inherited trait or predestined part of our personality. Resilience is a skill that can be grown and built upon, just like a muscle. Organizations, as well as people, can have resilience. And there are many different ways to build resiliency. But one of those ways is self-care, the importance of taking care of our own needs in order to be able to bounce back and to care for others. So the three different things you've outlined, resilience, fear, and self-care, but you're actually saying that self-care is one of the ways that we can actually build up our resilience? Exactly. I like to start with fear and say fear is a signal that is hardwired into us from evolution that tells us, look out, there's danger. The animal brain in us has a fight or flight response, a surge of adrenaline we get really worried, we pay attention, we either run or we fight. So once we pay attention to that fear and our human brain develops a plan, knowing that we have a plan ought to be able to help us to get to some new equilibrium, to adjust to that. And when we're confronted with that fear, that self-preservation response of fight or flight, I imagine that the longer we're exposed to some of these stimuli, the more damaging the effect of that fear is on our bodies. And when we're dealing with something like the COVID-19 pandemic and then the mental health issues that come along with it, that it sounds like this fear that then some of the concerns that people have about what's happening with their families and with their own health and even non-COVID health issues, you know, that's going to build up with people, right? Exactly, Dan. It can erode our performance. It, the constant adrenaline can be physically damaging to us. And that is why we talk about resiliency, making a plan, sticking to that plan. That plan could be following the doctor's orders, following the local health authorities' orders, staying socially distanced, and when you go out, wearing a mask. But having that plan, having that action can tell our brain, we're done with the fear, we're now doing what we need to do, and adjusting to the new circumstances. So we've got fear as our response. We've got resilience as a muscle, if you will, a skill that we've developed to try to be resilient over the situation that we've encountered. And as you said, not to pretend that it doesn't hurt or pretend it didn't happen, but actually to get back up and dust ourselves off and get back out there. And the third thing you mentioned was self-care. So what should we be thinking about in terms of self-care? 
Well, remember in the not too distant past when uh, we used to fly and they made that airplane announcement that said, if the mask falls down, put it on your face first before helping others. It is so important for us to take care of our own needs first. And there are a number of very, very simple things that we can do for self-care, participating in hobbies or in the things that we enjoy, like cooking or taking a walk, to maintain a sense of normality, attuning or paying attention rather to our physical needs, uh, getting enough sleep, eating well, making sure that exercise is part of our daily routine. Then there are a number of ways to promote stress management and relaxation, and there are some apps that can help as well. Making sure that we are connected with our family and our friends and our loved ones is also important. And then lastly, finding something every day to be grateful about. You can look out the window and watch a bird or take a walk or be thankful for the health of your loved ones. Those are some great recommendations. And actually, you just touched on a couple of things that I started doing. So I'm glad I'm on a good path here because when we got locked down here in the UK, one of the first things I did was I started a spreadsheet where every day I go in and I fill in something that I'm grateful for. And that's the way I start off each day. And actually, after a few weeks of doing that, I began to think at the end of each day as well, sort of reflecting on the day and and what I was going to look forward for the day or the week ahead. So I really encourage people to think about that. And some of the things that I've listed are as mundane as electricity and internet, because frankly, self-isolating or being quarantined or sheltering in place, whatever you want to call it, It would be a whole lot more difficult to do if I didn't have internet and electricity to be able to connect and and use the various technology and tools that we're able to use to stay connected. So in the first article that I mentioned, the one that was entitled, How Technology and Data Can Improve Access to Mental Health Resources, it lists in that document that employers and the work environment is the top place where people's mental health is affected. So right now, people aren't going to a work environment. So what are some of the things that you've seen people are doing, perhaps things that are happening at IBM, that employers can say, hey, you might not be coming to our business, but here are some tools and resources that people should be accessing in order to have the self-care and the resilience to help them conquer their fear and carry on. So even before the pandemic, and certainly after the pandemic, when we all resume work, I think there are many things that a company can do that IBM is doing that I'm proud that IBM is doing, uh, reducing the stigma associated with mental health and stress and anxiety, training managers around a culture of inclusivity, having programs and policies that are family friendly in place, making sure that the insurance that we buy for our employees covers mental health as well as physical health. And so those are all sort of, I guess, baseline policies and capabilities that an organization has uh, to both treat its employees well and also to get organizational resilience. And then I would add that there are certain things that I would suggest be applied to these work-at-home type of social distancing situations. And I know IBM has instituted some social group activities, virtual coffee breaks, as you will. I, as a physician, hold office hours, both individually and group, to help folks. And then we have this wonderful work-from-home pledge that all of our senior execs have taken. And that says, I pledge to be family sensitive, to support flexibility for personal needs, to support non-camera ready time, to be kind, to set boundaries, 
to take care of myself, to frequently check in on other people, and to be connected. How do you think this is going to affect, aside from the health issues, how do you think this is going to affect the, the way that we work, the way we think, the way we educate? Or should we even be thinking and discussing that yet? Should we just be focused on the situation that's at hand and look at the next two, six, eighteen, twenty-four 18, 24 months and focus on that? I think it's human nature to focus on the urgent situation in front of us. But part of uh, pandemic preparedness and response and recovery is lessons learned and thinking ahead. So while we absolutely have to pay attention to ourselves and our loved ones and getting through this difficult time, it does make sense to be thinking about what we're learning, how can we make things better the next time. And I am optimistic. I'm optimistic that there is a newfound attention being paid to public health and hopefully an investment in some of those core capabilities. One of the things that I think and expect that will carry forward is this newfound appreciation of tech and how it can help with mental health and how tech can make it easier for mental health providers, for example, to adapt to a remote visit. And it can make it easier for people who need those services to access care. Are there specific things that you would suggest people check out, whether they're specific apps or tools, maybe even genres of tools or places where they can go to find things that would help them get through this time? So let's talk a little bit about the classes of technology, and then we can dive into a couple of great examples, which I think are pretty cool. So first, there are mobile apps. And you know, we talked about self-care and resiliency. And part of that are things like relaxation and meditation and we have something called the Mind Gym, which allows people to practice some of these through guided exercises and whatnot, building that muscle, if you will, of resilience. The challenge, of course, with mobile apps is it's like the wild, wild west. You know, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly. So it's really important to go to trusted sites, to have them curated, to make sure the apps are safe and effective and uh, hew to um, privacy standards. So after apps, there would be online platforms. So online platforms are places to go to get some services, if you will. One of the really interesting online platforms is a partner of ours called Teatros. And they do counseling sessions for veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder or to build resiliency in the workplace. And they have counselors that have group anonymous online sessions, if you will, and they're using artificial intelligence, things like natural language understanding, to provide interesting feedback to help the counselors personalize their message based upon what they're hearing from the counseling session. Then there are remote telehealth visits and hotlines. It turns out that people can be more candid and feel less stigma sometimes with a computer than they do with a face-to-face counselor. So we're seeing chatbots and other types of technologies really thriving in the mental health arena. Brilliant. That's a great list of things to look for. And actually, I mentioned earlier, we had WeConnect Recovery on. Uh, Daniela Tudor came on, who's one of the founders of that group, to talk about substance use disorder and the tools that they're making available on their platform. Telehealth visits and hotlines and absolutely chatbots are really coming into their own. So we have a guest coming up to talk about the use of chatbots. 
broadly in so many different levels as people are not able to get out of their homes to seek health care or mental health care and using these sorts of AI-driven tools to be able to connect and get the help that they need. So thanks for listening to that. Any other ones that you think people should be looking for about how they can find these? Any other organizations that they could be turning to? I'd go to one other example, and that's GRIT, Getting Results in Transition. It is a platform targeting vets with post-traumatic stress. What we do there is we do assessments and referrals. And in particular, we found that with PTSD, economic insecurity is a huge stressor. So we teamed up with a job site and we offer veterans referral based on their job skills and their assets. So we are able to use that platform to do personalized assessments to link them to social and economic supports within the community. And we're finding that's been very successful. How can people learn more about these various programs and perhaps find out what IBM is doing to lead the way in this area? We have a website, www.ibm.biz, B-I-Z forward slash COVID health. Excellent. Okay. We'll make sure we include a link to that in the show notes. I really appreciate you coming on the program and sharing these insights with our listeners. Is there anything else that you'd like to say to the listeners before I let you go? Just because we are physically distancing doesn't mean we have to be socially distant. So please reach out to a loved one, to a family member, to a colleague, check in and make sure everyone's okay. Excellent. Great advice. Thanks again, Dr. Kassler, for joining me and take care of yourself. Thanks, Dan. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Digital Health Today. We have loads of links in the show notes, some of the things we discussed in this conversation, but there were also a lot of additional articles, guides, and materials that you may find helpful. So grab those in the show notes of this episode or on our website at digitalhealthtoday.com slash podcast. Don't forget, you can also find us as well as hundreds of great episodes by trusted podcasters on healthpodcastnetwork.com. But no matter where you find us, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and our newsletter to be kept up to date on the latest episodes, news, and events. This has been another episode of Digital Health Today, a production of mission-based media. Music and audio engineering for this episode was by Ivan Jurich. I'm Dan Kendall, and I've been your host. Thanks so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep on innovating.